G'day Dons fans, Jonathan Walsh here and welcome once again to another episode of Don The Start. As always, I'm joined by my co-host Dean Hume. Hume, how's things mate? Good mate, no complaints here. Just getting excited that footy's back in a week and we'll get to see the impact that all the off-season changes have had. How about yourself? Yeah, I, this time next week we'll uh, we'll either be talking flags or spoons, I guess. Um, as is the the roller coaster ride of being an Essendon fan. No, I'm good, mate. Um, glad to have a long weekend, which is nice. And uh, but yeah, very much looking forward to the footy kicking off on well the season starting on Thursday, and then and then our first game on Sunday. I'm looking forward to getting along to the G. Yeah, afternoon at the G can't do much better than that. So tonight's going to be all about our season preview. Uh, we're going to be doing an old-fashioned SWOT analysis uh, that might send some tremors through some people with uh, who did business at school, but we think it's a really good way of, of looking where Essendon is at and where the improvements need to be made. Before we do, I'd just like to give a shout-out to our new patrons, Yusuf Ekbal, Andre Mazala, Chris Damiani, Nick Forrest, Matt Jay, David, Trish, and S. Carey. Thanks so much for your support. Been a big week on Patreon. My interview with Anthony Procillo has been out for a few days now, and you've released your first video review for patrons at the analyst here, which has had a fantastic response so far. Yeah, the response has been great, mate. Thank you to everyone who's joined uh, joined up. I'm not sure if that's uh, 1985 Premiership player Stephen Carey. Uh, if it is, thank you. If it's not, uh, yeah, thanks for the trip down memory lane. But uh, yeah, the the feedback's really good, and I'm planning on getting some video analysis together of a few of the things the Hawks are, are doing well. I, I took in their game against the Pies again on the weekend, so I'll share that after our round one previews release. So yeah, we're we're committed to releasing some video content once a month, but if time permits, we'll try and do it a little bit more often because something that I enjoy doing, and uh, if everyone else is enjoying it, I'll do my best to do it a little bit more regularly. Well, if it's as good as the first one, I think we're all in for a bit of a treat. Uh, just another announcement about the show moving forward. So we said at the end of last year, we were planning on continuing with Twitter spaces for recording the match previews so people could listen and participate live. However, given all the instability around Twitter and the concerns we may not be able to download recordings in order to release on the pod feed, we've decided that we're going to be pre-recording the match previews and releasing them straight to the feed. Uh, we apologise to those people who like to listen and participate live. Uh, we're hoping to do some impromptu spaces post-game for immediate reactions when we're able to, but just for the consistency of the podcast and making sure that got out to people, that's the decision we had to make there. Yeah, it's a bit of a shame doing live was good fun and, and we always got some good participation from people. But yeah, we're, we're really well aware that Don The Start has grown because of the community around it, particularly on Twitter. So we promise we'll never lose that interactive interactive element of it. it you know, we're, we're aware that this is much more than just you and, and myself, Humi, that that, you know, the feedback and the questions that we get from everyone who listens makes a big part of what we're able to put out. So we'll continue to put the call out for any questions or areas of discussion that that people might want to have. You can email us at donthestat at gmail.com at any time, or you can slide into our Twitter DMs if there's something you've seen. We've also got a Facebook page, so you can message us on there. So uh, yeah, keep the questions and and the chat coming in, and and we promise we'll always make that part of what we do. Yeah, it's fantastic. And I'm pleased to say that tonight we've had some really good input from our Twitter followers when we asked them for to complete their own SWOT analysis of Essendon. We're going to be bringing up some of their points that they raised as well. So before we start thinking about 2023, let's reflect back a bit on 2022. We're not going to go through a play-by-play of the season. I think that's uh, been declared against the UN Convention Against Torture. 
by going through that. So we won't be doing that, but let's just remind ourselves of some of the key stats from last year. So Essendon finished 2022 with seven wins, 15 losses, a percentage of 83.2%, and that led to a ladder position of 15th. Some of the key stats to take out, I'm not going to go through all of them, but 13th for points for and 16th for points against. Essendon were 18th overall for tackles and 15th for tackles inside 50. They were 18th for generating stoppages, which says a lot about how they were able to restrict ball movement through the middle. They were 13th for opposition inside 50, so we were restricting inside 50 somewhat, but when they got it in there, uh, we were the third worst team for allowing teams to score. So it was 16th for opponents inside 50 efficiency. And finally, we were 17th for one percenters, which just says a bit about how hard the players were working. So this is just a snapshot of where Essendon ended up last year. I could go through a lot more, but I think it would just get depressing for all of us. The point is to acknowledge that we're coming from a long way back and we'll need to make significant developments if we want to challenge for the premiership in the future. Yeah, I think it's a good reminder of the baseline that we're coming from. I think improvement in 2023 is going to be measured in a lot of ways. Uh, wins of wins and losses, of course, are uh, the easy one or the primary one, but I think it's also in some of these key areas that talk to our ability to defend the ground and, and win the ball back off the opposition that are going to be the big watch for me. And it'll be interesting to see uh, how closely or, or to watch this closely throughout the season to see how well we're doing to close the gap. And I, I guess the other watch for me on, on improvement will be the improvement, a little bit harder to measure, but the improvement in some of our younger players in particular and, and how they're able to take the next you know step or two as they you know develop and move forward in their careers. Yeah, and I think the idea of the younger players really moves into what our next point is, which is thinking about the list and, and the depth of the list. As, as you said, we do have a lot of young players, a lot of players who we're still finding out what their potential is and how they're going to fit into Essendon moving forward. Now, this is a data point that I picked up from Ricky Mangitas' blog, The Shinboner. Ricky was a guest on the podcast last year to talk about Brad Scott and what he was like as a coach of North Melbourne through Ricky's own experience working at North Melbourne. And from everything I've seen, Ricky's insights into football are as good as anyone. So you can actually check out his work on the Shinbona blog, and I'll put a link to that in the description of the episode. So one of the things that really sticks out to me is the continuity of a list, how how much you keep a list together throughout the seasons. When you see a new season come around, often you'll see people in the media talk about gains of experience lost from a side over the course of an off-season, but that number can be deceiving. So, for example... Let's take Sean Higgins, uh, retired from Geelong last year. Now, Sean Higgins plays 260 games. You often see that whole 260 included in the games experience lost of Geelong. But Sean Higgins only played 23 for the Cats over two years, and only five of those came in the last year. So how much have Geelong actually lost by not having Sean Higgins on the list? So in many ways, it can actually be a deceiving metric uh, that you often see shared. Now, another way of looking at it is considering who played in 2022, breaking it down by minutes played, and then how many, how, what percentage of that is off the list going into 2023. So, if you use that metric, Essendon have the second most cohesive list as in terms of 2022 minutes played. So, over 90% of the 2022 minutes remain on the list for 2023. So I said, this means if we subtract the minutes played by delisted, retired and injured players from the total played in 2022, 
we're left with a percentage of minutes carried over into 2023. So only Sydney are ahead of Essendon on this metric. And to look at the other end, Freo have the most lost minutes with 20% of their playing minutes from 2022, not on the list in 2023. Yeah, it's an interesting pickup. I guess the the tendency is to just look at experience lost and and, and those kind of metrics, but it, it doesn't talk to the impact those players necessarily had the season before. I guess when you look at the guys that are no longer on our list from last year, they didn't play a lot of games. Ham had played the most with 11 Cutler, nine, Waterman, eight, Smith, eight, Francis, four, Hurley, one. And a number of those games were low minutes as sub. You know, Ham played a number of games as sub. Waterman did as well. Cutler would have played a few uh, off the top of my head as well. So, yeah, what it does show is that we do have a lot of younger players who benefited from playing 15 or 20 games each last season and playing together. And and you would hope that that, you know, it, it might not mean a lot more in terms of wins in 2023, but you would hope as we get into 2024 and beyond when these guys have started to play, you know, 30, 40, 50 games together, that it's really going to help us move forward. Yeah, and, and this idea of continuity uh to me in terms of its importance really came down to something that was shared with me on Twitter. I can't remember exactly who initially shared this podcast, but it was on uh, Swanee's podcast and it was an interview with former Wallaby Ben Darwin. Now, Ben Darwin is a member of GameLine Analytics and his key feature to successful teams are the ones that have played and learned together over a long period of time. So the fact that we've got strong continuity between 2022 and 2023 means that we've got players who are learning to play together, learning what each other's reactions to certain situations are so they can make better decisions going forward. So assuming we have the right talent on the list, uh, that means by having such a list continuity, we're giving them the best opportunity to develop cohesion and confidence in each other. As you say, that can only benefit the team moving forward. So if we look at the list overall itself, we're looking at an age and game profile that is bottom four, in both those metrics. So bottom four for average age and bottom four for average games played. So what this does is it provides a variety of challenge in that on average for our players, most of them are a stage of development where they're still finding out about their own games. Many are still growing into their own bodies. They're not the complete AFL footballers that many other clubs have. So that means there's going to be more inconsistency in terms of the output of those players. Now, hopefully over time, as they develop that, and it's we know and we've, we've brought up on this show before, it seems the club has put a real emphasis on development and getting resources in to help with those players' development. Hopefully that is accelerated over time, but it is going to be a ways away before those players are confident as AFL players. Now, I did a depth chart at the end of last year across what I consider to be the major areas of the field. So tall forwards, mid forwards, small forwards, tall backs, mid backs, small backs, Ruckman, inside midfielders, outside midfielders, and defensive midfielders. Now, that's not perfect. That's just how I did it. Uh, you could arguably put wings on there. I didn't. I considered them as outside midfielders. I'm going to do a Patreon video in the next week going over it in more detail and going through the initial depth chart and then the changes I've made since when I did it at the end of last year. But to take out of that, there are 12 players that I consider to be locks in the side when fit. So, key forward, Peter Wright. Mid forward, Jake Stringer. Key defender, Jane Laverty. Medium defender, Jordan Ridley. Small defenders, Raymond and McGrath. Ruckman, Sam Draper. Inside midfielders, Dylan Shield and Darcy Parrish. 
Outside midfielders, Merritt and Martin. And then defensive midfielder, midfielder Caldwell. All right, so again, not perfect. This is my interpretation. What that means is I've got 12 of 23 spots on the, the best side filled, which means there's a wide variety of opportunity for players to make their spots their own. And with so many developing players, again, they should give them the drive to be able to try and say, there's a spot in the best 23 for me, and I'm going to take it. Yeah, I think this really talks to my view that that we don't have a best 22. People, again, fall into a bit of a trap of trying to work out what our best team is. But I I definitely don't think we have that. And, and even in the 12 that you've listed, I think there's there's probably a couple that, not necessarily that you could argue, but early enough in their careers that they're probably only ever four or five you know, quiet games away from being replaced by another young player. And, and the two that come to mind there are, a Draper who's played 40 odd games and uh, you know we do have another young talented ruckman on the list and a and a you know a veteran who's not played all that many games but in so um, obviously Brian and and Phillips are the two that I'm talking about that if their form in the VFL was strong and Draper's dropped off then you know Draper's not at a point in his career where he can ride out a, a run of bad form and then Caldwell's the other one he's played 34 games and uh, again he he needs to to maintain a consistent level and, and get some continuity in his football, I think, before we can say that he's a, a an absolute lock. But, you know, those those two aside, I, I think you're, you're right. What what we're definitely seeing is there are opportunities here for young players to play plenty of games again and, and to stake a claim. And I think what we're also seeing is a sign that Brad Scott's going to give them some opportunities against, you know, ahead of some of the more experienced players. Yeah, uh, Nick Hine played VFL on the weekend, which probably suggests that uh, Massimo D'Ambrosio is going to get a crack at halfback ahead of him. So we've got, you know, Hine's not overly experienced, but he's, what, 25 or 26 against, you know, Massimo, who's really only just completed his first preseason. And then Langford, I, I also noted, played at halfback in the VFL on the weekend. So that, that suggests that the likes of Davey and Menzi are, are going to get plenty of AFL op- opportunities in the forward line ahead of probably someone like Kyle Langford. So, I think when we revisit this next season, we'll probably see something similar that our, our list changes uh, and, and continuity remain really high because we're, we do have this young list and, and the guys that are going to get games under Brad Scott are, are going to be guys that he sees us as taking, taking us forward in, you know, 24 and 25. Yeah. And one of the things that we're going to cover in, in our next segment is, is those young players and, and where they fit in terms of, our, our SWOT analysis that we're going to complete. So, where as we said at the start, at the start, we're going to be undertaking a SWOT analysis of Essendon. So, for those who don't know what a SWOT analysis is, it's a way of looking at an organisation through its strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, and threats. This is a way of breaking down what an organisation is doing well and what they could be doing better. So, it's often used in business. But I thought it would be a good way of exploring where the AFC is at heading into 2023, mainly from an on-field perspective. We're going to leave the off-field stuff for now. Uh, and when I approached you with this suggestion, you agreed to it. So you're stuck with it now. So we're going to move into the strengths now. And as I said at the start, we did request that people on Twitter share with us what they thought their strengths and weaknesses and opportunities and threats for Essendon in 2023 were. So we're going to be uh, using some of those to support what we're going to be talking about. So firstly, we're going to start with the strengths. The strengths are what Essendon is doing well 
currently and what we expect them to continue to do well in 2023. So the big one for me is center clearance midfielders. Now, this was also stated by Dimitri Borandanis on Twitter. So if you look at the individual names, Dylan Shield was first for center clearances per game in 2022, and Darcy Parrish was second in that stat in 2021. So if you're coupled with a Ruckman in Draper, that more often than not wins the tap. It gives us first use in the middle of the ground, and that allows us to make the play. So more often than not, when we have a set play from the middle, we're likely to have control of that and be able to set the tempo there. So that gives us a bit of control into getting and getting about ability to get into games. Yeah, and the six 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 really works in our to our advantage then because it, it, the game's not as contested or congested as it is in you know in general play. I, I guess you can also add Stringer to that list as well, depending on on how he's used. I, I don't think we'll see him in the midfield nearly as much as we had the last two seasons, but you know he's someone that we know we can throw into the center into the center bounce and and try and help us win some momentum. Uh, the other one or the other couple are Caldwell, who's showing some signs that he can be a, a really good center clearance midfielder. Uh, and then, you know, Sardis is only a young player, but I reckon we'll probably see him there at, at some point during the season. We know Hobbs was drafted because of his ability to win clearances. And then uh, you know that I'm hot on Nick Martin as a center clearance midfielder as well. And um, I'd, I'd kick myself if I didn't throw him in the mix uh, a- again as well. So, yeah, we, we've definitely got a lot of depth in in that area with with guys that can go through the center bounce and, and help us win clearances. The, the, the big strength for me, which sounds funny saying this given where we were towards the end of last year, but the strength for me is our off-field leadership. I, I think we're... In, it's inevitable that we're going to have ups and downs this season. Uh, it, it's just going to happen with the number of young guys that we're going to be giving games to. You know, spoke about Massimo D'Ambrosio a moment ago. He's not going to play 22, you know, all Australian caliber games. He's going to have some really good ones. He's going to have some really good quarters and then he's going to go missing for, for quarters as well. So, uh, you know, him and Menzi and Davey and all of them. These young guys that are coming through are going to have lots and ups and down, lots of ups and downs. But I think what we do have now is a senior coach, a CEO, and a president that give us a, a leadership that are going to ensure that when we win, we don't get ahead of ourselves, and and when we uh, when we lose, we don't panic either. So I, I think what we'll see from our our you know really strong and experienced leaders of the club now is is a, mes- a message that's really consistent that we just have to keep trying to improve whether it's a, a win or a loss we we have to keep doing things you know working to do things better and and I think that will become a real asset uh and then the other strength for me and uh this was one that that quick spread said as well on Twitter or or thereabouts uh but it does come with a caveat for me, and that is we have we have depth in our young players on the list, and, and that caveat, of course, is we have to keep them healthy because that that depth is only useful if you can you know keep everyone fit. And what that should mean if they are healthy is it allows us to rotate them through and manage their lows. If we think back to 2021 and how tired Perkins and Cox looked towards the end of the year, if we do keep that young group healthy, we've got the ability to really you know, manage their loads and, and pick them when they're in form and pick them when they're feeling, you know, fit and healthy and strong. And and ultimately you want your young players playing games where they feel like they can contribute. And what we've done with our VFL program this year also means that when we do drop them back to the VFL, we can do so with, with confidence that they're going to get a, a consistent message from the coaching staff 
that they're going to be surrounded by experience and, and quality players and they're not going to get beaten up every week. So, uh, yeah, I think that's an, another real, you know, maybe not a strength for for lots of, lots more wins in 2023, but a strength for how we move forward into building some sustainable success for the football club. Yeah, and just sort of before we move on to the next step, uh, Gail Taylor on Twitter also brought up a couple of your points there, the talented youth and the, the coaching panel being a strength of Essendon. And then uh, Anthproc, who I did the interview with, and that'll be coming out early next week, uh, he brought up speed by foot and ball movement. So we do have quite a lot of pacey players, although uh, as you sort of suggested, if Hind is out uh, for Massimo, then we're going towards a more going towards a more focus on uh, precision kicking as opposed to leg speed in that sense. Although McGrath going back does add a bit of leg speed there. So yeah, we'll see how that plays out there. Moving on to the next one, which is probably going to be a longer segment given where Essendon is at. It's the weaknesses. So for me, there's two key weaknesses. The first is key backs. So we're we're talking our main defensive options. So with Reed injured, and Hayes only just drafted. We have Stewart, who is unreliable through injury. And then we have BZT and Laverde, who are quite good players. I, I, I quite rate them quite highly. But if you compare them to the biggest forwards in the competition, they're undersized. So there's a real risk for me that players like the Lynch, uh, Hawkins, Dixons, uh, Harry Mackay's of the competition are going to have a clear advantage when coming up against the Essendon defence. So hopefully the focus on team defense will help. And we did see signs that the team defense was working to an extent during the Saints practice game. But getting our key backs into one-on-one situations is going to be a risk for Essendon against these these sort of players. And the other key one for me is transition defense. And this was, again, this was also raised by Dimitri Borandaris. Uh, we've been ranked 17th or 18th for transition defense for the last three years. Basically, if we're not scoring when the ball goes into our forward 50, it's heading back out to give the opposition a shot on goal. We want to see year-on-year improvement on this metric if we're ever going to challenge for a premiership. So this is a real – those are, for me, the two key areas I need to focus on. Obviously, they both sort of revolve around that defensive end. Yeah, it's hard to add too much more to that, mate. I think, you know, it, you're right. To, to me, it looked a lot better, uh, that that defensive – Sort of def- yeah, defending transition in in both our practice games. There there were definitely some moments against Gold Coast where it wasn't great, and and I think by and large it was really good against the the Saints. Not not perfect, but yeah, it, it's going to take more than obviously a practice match in March to to convince us that that this is no longer a weakness. So we've got a lot of work to do in that area. And then yeah, I'm with you on the key backs too. We we ask a lot of Laverde, and, and if he does go down, it's a big hole there until Reed and Hayes are physically capable of playing on, on you know those big key forwards. Uh, I guess James Stewart is the breaking case of emergency uh, at the moment. The other area for me, from a list perspective, is I think we lack genuine wing depth, um, and you know that that's really manifesting itself at the moment in the lead up to round one with. You know, Sardis injured, who you know probably won't have a a, a career on the wing going forward. But I I, th- I suspect that's probably where he's going to start his AFL career. Uh, you know, he he's not there to to come in. Heppel's injured. Langford's you know just back from injury, and as we mentioned earlier, it looks like he might be playing at halfback. So we're real short on 
on wingers. And and even in the case of Heppel and Langford, I'm not sure it's their their absolute best positions on the ground either. So, you know, we've got Martin and we've got Durham who are two really, really good players. But beyond that, there's there's some real weakness, I think, in in those wingers. And, you know, we're we're likely to have to rotate our our midfielders through that part of the ground. Yeah. I mean, I think we saw Setterfield line up of the wing against St Kilda. So I guess they're considering him for that position as well. Now, the one that came up on Twitter, and this came up quite a lot, uh, and this was contested possession. Uh, Obviously, this was the week after the St Kilda practice game where the big stat that everyone was focused on was the minus 30 contested possession. So this was brought up as a weakness by Craig McGill, uh, Vince Tascunas, uh, Josh, and Anthproc. They all mentioned this as one of their weaknesses. So if you look at, for example, our contested possession differential, so that's our contested possessions versus our opponent's contested possession, uh, we were ranked 12th. Okay, so we we did have a negative differential there. Uh, this isn't necessarily the be all and end all. So Collingwood were one kick away from a grand final with a contested possession differential that was ranked 17th in the competition. So only West Coast was worse than them. Uh, they were heavily reliant on generating turnover. But even with Collingwood, we have seen that they have gone out and got a player like a Tom Mitchell to try and address that contested possession differential. So even they recognize that it's an issue. Yeah, and I, I think when you add to the fact that we've just spoken about our ability to defend the ground being a big weakness, not being able to win your fair share of contested ball then makes it harder to to defend the ground, right? So the Pies were really good at being able to set up and defend. We weren't, so so not winning, winning contested ball kind of is a little bit like part, uh pouring petrol on a fire, right? So we definitely need to fix up both of those parts. But I do think we've got more Arsenal on our list to be able to improve that area. We didn't get a lot out of uh, Parrish last year. Um, we've added Setterfield. You know, he's not Tom Mitchell, but he'll help us in this part of the ground. So, yeah, it, it, it is a bit of a weakness, but I think it's one that that we're probably better placed to to improve faster than we are that, that defending the ground. I think that's going to take a little bit more time. Yeah, well, fingers crossed on that. We're going to move forward to the opportunities. So opportunities are things that Essendon have the chance to develop uh, and things that are going to help them moving forward. So the first for me is listability. Uh, This is also raised by Gail Taylor and Craig McGill on Twitter. Already talked about the fact there was very few off-season changes to major pieces. You went through the names of of the players that went off the list and you wouldn't say that any of them were a major piece that Essendon would consider to be lost going going forward. As I said at the time, allowing players to learn more about how each other plays is going to allow a deepening connection between them. Again, knowing how you, your teammates are going to react in certain situations allows you to make those better decisions and that hopefully improves the efficiency of the side. So, for example, if you're a midfielder and you're streaming towards the forward line, you know how Peter Wright is going to react on the lead or you, you learn how Harry Jones is going to react on a lead. And so, you know, the best place to put it for them. And again, the more experience you get doing that, the better you are going to be at that. And then the really big opportunity for me is, is the small forwards. We obviously recognize that was a serious weakness on the list last year. So, we've gone out and really strengthened that area in terms of, of getting depth. So, with the amount of small forwards that we have on the list, we have the real opportunity to find our next, you know, eight to 10 year small forward. 
So players like Menzi, the Davy Twins and Wanganeen are all really talented. They probably will all get, well, obviously Jaden Davy probably won't, but other than that, the other three will get opportunities this year, I imagine, and at the senior level to show what they've got. And then they're going to have players around them like Waller, uh, Guelphie and Snelling to protect them and provide them with rests as they need them. So between those four players, I imagine we'll be able to find our next 10, eight to 10 years small forward um, by giving them opportunities this year. And as we've seen so far, the club seem really uh, focused on playing at least three of those in each game. Again, that's going to give them the opportunities for success. Yeah, well said. Player development is is a really big opportunity for me. We've had a huge investment in in this area. We've really resourced up both at an AFL level and a, and a VFL level. And, and I really think we should uh, see that manifest itself into development happening or, or improvement happening with our young players uh, faster than we've seen in the past. We have got 22 players on our list that are 22 or younger which is which is frightening that that's a lot of young talent and and within that there's a lot of guys that were were high draft picks so you know we've had access through both draft and trade you know the trade being you know someone like Jai Caldwell to to guys who were you know in the top sort of 10 and, and 15 of the draft you know plus you know Alan and Jaden Davey who you know could have gone anywhere should um uh, had they not been father sons and in, in Jaden's case not been injured, so we have this you know tremendous opportunity now to bring this talent through together in an environment that has quickly gone from under resourced to having every resource that they they need to get the best out of themselves and to do it you know rather quickly, and you know that that was a pretty consistent theme that came through, wasn't it? When you put the call out on Twitter, you know Gail brought up, Quick Sprint brought up, Jason brought up as well, so. Yeah, I, I think that's um, yeah really pleasing to see and something that we've been crying out for all, for a long time. And I think that list retention speaks to another opportunity. You know, we're a big club, right? There's a reason that these guys are, are signing on and, and wanting to stay. And I think we're now in that sleeping giant territory and look, arguably have been for a long time. You know, our fans have been through more than any other supporter group in the country. I think our, our club has asked a hell of a lot from us and we, we as fans have delivered, you know, time and time again, we've shown up time and time again, you know, whether it's been through poor performances, poor seasons, through coaching changes, through sagas, through board spills, through turmoil through CEO changeovers. Uh, but the one constant that there has been is that our fans have been there, that we keep putting our hands in our pockets and we keep showing up to games. I think we've got the, we would have to have the most loyal fan base in the country. Our, our club sadly has given us every reason to turn away and, and we keep, you know, turning up. And and I think that's an incredible opportunity to build from. If our, if our new leadership can deliver on the stability and, and continuous improvement, ethos that they're setting out to do then we've got this massive giant supporter base that's going to get right behind us and and that's a massive opportunity for the club going forward well said we move on to the final section which is looking at the threats so these are the external threats and the big one for me you know everyone everyone at the start of the year is hoping for improvement and, and pushing up the ladder and uh for a lot of last year I was talking about, you know, we'll get a lot of just natural improvement from these players aging and and getting more comfortable in their AFL careers. But Essendon really hasn't gone out and made too many list changes, but a lot of the teams around us and above us have. So a lot of the strong teams have gotten stronger. So Richmond with uh, Hopper and Taranto, uh, the Bulldogs have gone out and got 
Rory Lobb, uh, Collingwood have gone and got Tom Mitchell. They've got McStay, uh, Bobby Hill and the like there. Brisbane, you know, people are tipping Brisbane on the flag based on the strength of their inclusions in, in Gunston, Dunkley, McKenna and the like there. Port Adelaide have gone and got Jason Horn francis you know, uh, the best mid in the comp from a, a year ago or the best young mid in the comp from a year ago. They've all traded to improve their list basically for the now. So it's going to be a challenge for us to improve against those sides in the short term, what's required to push for a top eight spot. It does seem that those teams, a lot of those teams are going all out for premierships now, and that can be opportunities in the future when when they start to decline and, and space opens up. Uh, that said, uh, you know, we should be looking to challenge, challenge ourselves and test ourselves against these stronger sides and to give us a, a better indication about where we're at uh, in 2023. And then I think learning a new coach's game plan. Hopefully the game plan has been simplified from last year. We saw last year how difficult it could be to learn a new game plan and the problems that that caused for the cohesion of the playing list and the impact that had on results of games. Uh, hopefully that again doesn't cause more issues for the players, especially at the start of the year. Uh, there seems to be a good opportunity in terms of the run of games at the start of the year to get some early wins. But if they're still struggling with a new game style, then that could lead those uh, early wins to be lost. Yeah, it's it's a challenge, isn't it? I've got a little bit more confidence that uh, you know, with Brad Scott's experience that he's he's going to build this game plan up in in the right way but yeah and until it it's proven otherwise i i think you're right raising that i know traditionally when when you do a swot analysis the the threats are, are things external to the organization but i think for me the biggest one remains ourselves and and this was a point that that vince also raised on on your post mate but yeah, we've been a club that has panicked a lot in the past. We, we've tried to do two thing, tried to do things too quickly, or we've overrated where we are. Uh, we've or we've looked for others to blame when things have gone wrong. But the reality is that for two decades, we've really been our own worst enemy. So from an off-field perspective, I think really the the biggest threat to to where we we going and and where we want to get to is ourselves. Um, and and you're right. Pretty much every other side in the top ten from last year has improved their list with experience and talent. We've added some real specific role players in Setterfield and, and Wiedemann, but they've played 57 and 59 games each, so they haven't played too many more games than our our list average, which I think is in the sort of low to mid 50s. So whilst we should expect to see improvement ourselves, there's you know there's no doubt there's 17 other clubs who uh, are expecting that they're going to improve as well so yeah the competition isn't going to stand still for us so we're going to have to to really work hard to to try and you know jump some uh, spots on the ladder yeah absolutely and as i said on twitter last night i wrote i think i wrote a, a long twitter thread it took me about an hour to put together and then i shared it with you before i was uh, confident enough to post it but i think as much as we'd love to see, you know, Essendon make the finals and win a final and, and push for the premiership. I think as much as anything, 2023 is going to be about looking at the way we play, looking at the culture of of the side, looking for small small wins like developing transition defence, like developing small forward depth and the like. I think then it may not necessarily be looking at the wins and losses to determining how successful 2023 is. I know that's probably how a lot of external 
people will look at Essendon's 2023, but I think there's a lot more specific elements that if we look and see that they improve, we'll consider it to be potentially a successful year, even if we don't move forward in the wins column. I guess at the end of the day, ultimately progress in 2023 is going to come down to maximising our strengths and progressing our weaknesses so that those weaknesses can eventually move into the strength side of the ledger. Yeah, well said, mate. Uh, Spot on. Yeah. Well, look, final thing we're going to do now is we're going to make some predictions. We generally don't make predictions on this show, but it is a pre-season show, and I think that's part of the feature of these sort of shows uh, you, you sort of make those predictions there. So, John has put together three predictions for the coming year. What have you thought is going to happen? Yeah, I, I've said this one a couple of times now, but I think Dylan Shiel, if he stays fit and, you know, you only have to look at the the condition he's been in over the preseason, if we take into account how he bounced back from what happened against the Swans last year and the way he finished the year, if he stays on the park and plays 20 or more games, I think he'll make the all Australian squad of 40. He's a he's a damn good player. He's so dangerous at clearance. He he really can run, you know, opposition players off their legs and he's got a a point of difference that not only don't we have, you know, outside of him, but a lot of clubs don't have and that's that real explosive dangerous midfielder from the center. So I think uh yeah, I've got him making the all Australian squad of 40 if he can stay on the park. Uh, my second prediction is we'll improve from averaging 94.8 points against us last season. So, yeah, on average, opposition team scored, let's round it up to 95 points a game against us, to below 80 in the second half of the season. I, I don't think it's going to happen straight away. We'll, we'll have some teething problems in the first half of the year. But I think as we get into the second half of the year, that defensive game plan and, and some of those structural changes that we've seen through the practice matches will really start to become habit. And, and if we do close that gap to below 80, then that will take us somewhere to where the you know top seven to 10 defensive teams operate. And I think that will be a, a big win for us to then move forward on into 2024 and beyond. And I do think that the gap between our best and our worst will close substantially, which will mean that our percentage overall will improve. It might not mean many more wins, although I'm a little bit more bullish on our on our expected win tally than than some. I'm, you know, I'm not talking top four or anything silly like that, but I, I think what it will mean is that we'll finish 2023 with a more identifiable brand of football and we'll be we'll see a more consistent effort, not just week from week, but also quarter from quarter to quarter. Uh there'll still be ups and downs throughout, uh through the nature of our list, but I think um yeah, I, I'm really expecting that we'll yeah, we'll close that gap between our our absolute best games like we saw against the Swans and, and the like last year and our worst games, which we also saw against the Swans last year. So, uh, yeah, they're, they're my three, mate. What about you? Uh, well, my first one sort of links into your second point and it's, it's about that defensive aspect. And I'm going to predict that we finish season 2023 with a positive intercept differential. That is, we generate more intercepts than the opposition. Uh, that'll be a real sign that our transition defense is working and our ability to stop teams getting that run on through the center. It's clearly a big focus of the club and it's something they'll be working towards. So that's one prediction there. The second is that there are going to be some bad losses and, you know, we're, we're all going to be uh, wanting to throw the toys out of the cot when, you know, dream time comes around again and we're getting smashed by 70 points and the like there. And 
at the end of the day, that that's going to, I think that's going to be okay as long as the players are getting the correct feedback and support that they need to make those losses less likely in the future. As you say, the gap between the best and the worst closes. I think with the support that's been put in place around the club, around the football department, those players are going to be getting that feedback and developing those skills. And so that those losses don't happen again in the future. And I'm going to make a Crichton medal prediction. And I am predicting that Andy McGrath is going to win the Crichton medal. He's going to cement his spot in halfback. He's going to lock down on the best opposition small forwards like he did in his debut year. And he's also going to be providing uh, drive from defence so for me, he's a real opportunity to take his game to the next level. Uh, the responsibility of the vice captaincy, I think, will suit him. And I think he'd be looking to become one of the key uh, key players going forward that will drive this club towards success. Yeah, I think we forget how good he was um, in that small back role in his first couple of years. Did he, he help hold Eddie Betts' goals twice, I think? Uh, when you know Eddie was winning Goal of the Year awards and all Australians and and all of those kind of things, so yeah, it's a it's a bold prediction, but I I like it. Yeah, I I, I think um I think he's in for a big year. Yeah, well, as always, we'd love to hear listeners' predictions for what they think twenty twenty three will hold. Uh, so you can comment on the announcement posts on Twitter for this episode, uh, or you can join our Facebook group. Don the start, we'll have a link to this episode up there. And again, you can comment below there and share your predictions for 2023. Then we can come back at the end of the year and see who looks like a hero and who looks like a goose. Yeah, I'm sure that we'll all look a little bit of both, I reckon. But yeah, no, well said. Absolutely. All right. Well, that's going to end us for this evening. Just a reminder that the bonus episode with Anthony Prochillo will come out to all listeners on Tuesday morning. This was available on Patreon since last Tuesday. As with all bonus episodes, they go up a week before on Patreon. Hopefully, people will enjoy it. The initial response has been really good. Anthony's got a lot of insight into particularly the stat side of where Essendon's at. A lot of uh, really interesting and good ideas uh, about what's been going wrong and what needs to improve going forward. It'd be a nice companion to what we've spoken about here tonight. In terms of our match previews, our Hawthorne preview is going to be recorded this Friday and it should be out that night. Normally, we'd be recording on Thursday nights. However, I have a date with my mid-2000s self and I'll be heading to the My Chemical Romance concert on Thursday night. So, I'll be unavailable to record that night and hopefully I'm in in a good enough condition to record on the Friday night and I haven't lost my voice. Yeah, well, uh, for our listeners' sake, I hope so because- yeah, just listening to me for 45 minutes is probably going to put a lot of people to sleep. But, uh, yeah, looking forward to actually talking about f- footy. And, um, yeah, I mentioned earlier, I- I've taken in the Hawks' couple of preseason games and uh, and had a good look at those, particularly their one against the Pies. So looking forward to, to breaking that down a little bit and talking about what we think we can expect to see against the Hawks on Sunday. And, and then, yeah, not long now till we're actually sitting at the G, mate, and um, with our scarves on and, and cheering on the lads. So looking forward to it. Absolutely. Go Dons.